Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Thanks for tuning in today. We're so thrilled to be reaching so many states now through KLTT and our podcast on iTunes. You can find us on iTunes by just typing in Adoption Now and then subscribe. There's no cost. And that is how our guest today found us. Laura applied from Utah. Thank you for being here. Hi. Glad to be here. So you found us that way, correct? Yes. Yes. I needed something uplifting and something I could connect with um, while I was doing some traveling earlier this year and was lucky to stumble upon your podcast. So I love your story because you talk a lot about different aspects of adoption, such as bumping birth order, can it be done, should it be done, postpartum depression that happens even in adoption, and in your story you talked about being scammed by a birth mother. So we have a lot to cover today, but yeah. I want to start with why you and your husband chose adoption. Well, I, we, both of us had kind of always had the feeling um, that we would adopt someday not realizing that it would be out of necessity, but our hearts were always open to it. We were married when we were in our 30s, and then we didn't want to wait to start a family. And so we started trying right away, and nothing was happening, and nothing was happening. And then it just became more apparent that that adoption would be the way we would grow our family. So there you are. So when you made the decision, what happened next? Well, here's the thing. We didn't, we had kind of, toyed with it but hadn't made a hard and fast decision I was at the mall one day at the makeup counter with a friend and I don't know what I don't know why um, necessarily I I believe it was God Um, I said to a total stranger I just blurted out we can't have kids and she said oh well my sister's expecting she's homeless and she's a drug addict and so she can't keep this baby. It's a boy. Do you want to adopt him? What? Yes. And instantly I was like, yes, yes, we'll adopt him. We'll adopt him. And I'll take this lipstick, right? Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, I'll buy whatever you want me to buy. Um, I still have the receipt from, from that day. Wow. Yeah. But, um, but, uh, and then I went to the car and called my husband and I said, I found a baby for us at the mall. And he was like, uh, I think you need to take a nap. <laughs> Come on, you're losing your mind. And so um, within a few days, the birth mother, I'm going to call her Kay, Kay contacted us and said, I'd love to meet you. So a few days after that, we met with her. And within 20 minutes, she put her hand on her belly and she said, congratulations, you're going to be parents. This is your baby. Wow. And um, it was a really powerful moment. I was in shock. My husband started to cry. It hit him faster than it hit me. And then the very next day we were, um, we meaning me and Kay, were at her ultrasound appointment. She invited me. And the second that I saw his little profile and heard his heartbeat, I honestly went into the ugly cry, like the, like, where you can't, you can't, mm-hmm. you can't talk cry, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, the ultrasound technician said, um, and, and who are you? As politely as she could. And I, and I, before I could say anything, Kay said, well, she's his mom. And then, uh, and then the ugly cry again. And then <laughs> they had to like stop and go and get me tissues. And, you know, it was, 
it was a it was a good moment, and and I felt really strongly at that point that this adoption was going to go through because you you know you don't really know until you know you have the baby in your arms and papers are signed. But I really 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 felt at that point like it, like it was a sure thing, and it was. Wow, I love the story because. I think it gives perspective on how you feel when you're in the room with a birth mother. It's always a little awkward. I mean, maybe not always, but the medical staff isn't always trained on adoptions. And so I'm sure she was looking at you like, you're the mother, but what? I'm sorry. (laughs) I don't understand how this is working. You know, and as an adoptive mom, you kind of are there, but it's awkward. And I love that yeah. this whole story came together for you, and it was amazing. And I love that the person kind of looked at you like, oh, okay. Are you okay? Well, and it's hard as an adoptive mom because I'm not the mom yet. Until she mm-hmm. places that baby in my arms and signs the paperwork, she is the mother. Mm-hmm. And so you have to tread really carefully to be respectful of that mm-hmm. relationship that, that she still has with her baby and and not take over and not you know and i and and i went to many ultrasounds with her and they would always try and give me the pictures and you know i would i would always it was always awkward mm-hmm. but but kay was always really good about oh you you take these i just want one you take them here's the the this dvd you know um of the ultrasound uh, but you, you have to be careful because it is her baby I agree. I agree. I actually learned that through a show, and I talk about it a lot, called I'm Having Their Baby. And when I watched the birth mother's side of everything and listening to them talk to the camera where the adoptive mom was not around, I learned Mm -hmm. how valuable my speech as an adoptive mom is to her and to say the right things. And, you know, you watched the show and you kind of see that the adoptive mom would come in and say, you know, oh, I've done pictures. I want to do pictures with the baby, my baby. When she hasn't even signed the paperwork, the baby's just born. And you see the mom's heart, I mean, the birth mother's heart break because it really isn't her baby yet. You can't really, right. you know, do all those things. You try to do them together and you try to be as respectful as you can to the birth mother's wishes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And really, um, in those situations, the very best day of your life is the very worst day of theirs. Mm-hmm. And so you also have to be sensitive to that. And really, like for me, in that situation with that baby, we became really, really close with Kay. I wanted to spend every day with her to help keep her clean, help keep her off of drugs. And so I really developed uh, a sisterhood and a bond with her. Mm-hmm. And so as her heart was breaking that day, my heart was breaking for her mm-hmm. also. And it's kind of a, a crazy spot to be in. And there's an old school of thought that says, you know, like, like from years ago, that the the birth mother shouldn't do an in-arms placement to the adoptive mother because it can mess up with, you know, attachment. Um, and I, and I can kind of see how that could be a thing because my heart really was broken for her, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, overjoyed for my little family. And I think in some ways it was easier because I, I knew and Kay knew that she couldn't care for this baby. Um, and so, you know, in, in some ways it, we all knew it was for the best. It wasn't like 
just she was just young and then you know it would have been hard but she could have worked it out she knew that 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 it was not a possibility for her to parent so in some ways I think it made it a little easier for both of us now were you home study ready um no we weren't so we had gone through all of this foster training um to become foster parents because we thought that that was the route we were going to go and in, in the state of Utah, you can't use your your state home study for a private adoption. So we had to hurry and get a social worker that could kind of expedite it. Our son ended up being born 10 weeks early. Oh, my goodness. And so thankfully, we had, we had had it ready. But because he was in the NICU and, you know, we didn't bring him home for six weeks. You um, had time. It, it gave us, yeah, it gave us a, a little bit of time. So. I always recommend to people to be home study ready because you never know. And, yes. you know, you hear stories all the time where people will get a call and then 10 days later there, there's a baby born. And if you're not home study ready, then they're going to they're gonna pass over you. It's true. And it's crazy trying to adopt a baby and doing a home study at the same time. I'm sure you experienced that going to the hospital and spending all this time with the baby in the NICU and then also going home and filling out paperwork and they're at your house and you're just trying to get everything in order can add a little bit of chaos. Right. Yes. Yes. Was he healthy? Um, you know what? Amazingly, he was healthy. Um, he just needed to learn that suck, swallow, breathe thing that babies need to do while they while they eat. And, of course, his lungs needed to, to develop, and he just needed to grow and get strong. He was two and a half pounds, and Aww. when we left the hospital, he was just a little under five pounds, which is still, like, incredibly tiny. Right. Um, but, yeah, now he's going to be six this month, and he's just happy and normal and all caught up. Or couldn't wow. be, um, you know, any happier about it. Do you guys have an open adoption? So with that one, yes, very, very much. So he was baby, um, he was baby number seven for his birth mother. Baby number six uh, passed away as a stillborn. So there were five other children. Grandma and Grandpa adopted them. Um, When Kay became pregnant with our little guy, um, her parents were kind of like, you know, we're, we're in our 60s. We already have all of your other kids. I don't know if we can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has turned into a really beautiful situation where they still are grandma and grandpa to our little guy. We see them on a regular basis. Um, as we speak, my son's um, oldest sister is tending all of my kids right now. Um, Grandma and Grandpa um, have become Grandma and Grandpa to all of my children. Uh, we just spent Easter with them. We we go there for Sunday dinners. They have us all on their birthday board, you know. <laughs> so wow. um, it's very open. Like I can, <clears throat> I can um, it really. It's it's it, it really couldn't be any any better than it is. And I I find it such a blessing. Um, it's kind of like we adopted. My son's name is Declan. We adopted Declan, and then they adopted our whole family. And um, I wouldn't change a thing. I would not change a thing. And because um, of my children and because of these open relationships we have with members of their birth families, I I actually now find my infertility um, the greatest blessing that God has ever given me. Hmm. 
which I didn't think I would ever say. But now that I can see his plan and see how everything was perfectly orchestrated, I'm so thankful. Yeah. Um, yeah. For it. Absolutely. It's amazing to me how the whole thing unfolded so quickly. You know, you didn't sit on a waiting list for years. Um, you were just buying some makeup and everything kind of came together for you. And so obviously you were like, let's do this again. Yes. So um, after he, it was funny because while I'm in the NICU holding him, the state called and said, we have a sibling group of five. And I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Not yet. Yeah. Um, and so after, you know, we got him home and he got bigger and stronger, we officially got diagnosed with infertility. Um, I cried really hard for an evening. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to find my kids. I mm. found one and I'm going to find the rest. And so I wiped my tears and I got to work. We called the state and said we were willing to take a foster placement. I said to my husband, we need to find another baby and it can, you know, take years sometimes. And so I said, let's just get the word out there. Um, so I wrote a letter and, and in the letter, it, it didn't ask anybody for any money. It just said, I need your connections. If you know anyone who is considering um, adoption, we would love the chance to talk to them. And then I took that letter and I sent it to every person I had ever met in my entire life. And I actually sent it through the mail. I felt like it would be more impactful for somebody to get a physical letter in the mail that was hand signed than, than an email. Um, and within a month, a friend of mine called and said, she said, it's a long shot, but I work at the Utah State Prison. There's an inmate here that's expecting. She's not sure what she wants to do. Um, she's going to be out in a month. Would you mind if I gave her your contact information? And so, of course, I, I told her I would love that. And so um, she called me uh, when she got out, and, and we connected. And she told us she wanted us to adopt her little guy. Um, sadly, she reoffended, and so she had to go back to prison. Um, so when my son was born, his birth mother was incarcerated. Um, while we were waiting for him to be born, though, the state of Utah called and said there was a four-year-old boy that um, it looked like it was going to go to adoption, and they needed a foster to adopt home. And so we took in um, that four-year-old boy while we were waiting for our baby to be born. Talk to us about that. Um, okay. So there's a definite need for foster care adoptions. There's so many children that need homes. Um, I would never discourage anybody from that ever, but it's hard. It's really hard. And I think sometimes people think, well, I'm just going to adopt this child that's maybe had a rough life and they're just going to be so happy to be here because we're such a great family and we go to Disneyland and they're going to mm. want for nothing or whatever. Not realizing that those children come with a lot of baggage and a lot of hurt and a lot of confusion. And no matter how bad it might have been at home, there's still a lot. They still have a longing for that. Mm -hmm. Um and so it, it was a challenge. It's still a challenge, and it will probably always be a challenge for him. He has, um, he's like, he told me that he's over it. Like, like um, you know, as far as the, the adoption goes, he says, 
like like that doesn't play in his mind um, anymore. Um, he doesn't have a whole lot of memories from his life before he came to us um, in his mind, but I believe that their soul and their body remembers the trauma. Mm-hmm. And so we deal with that trauma every every day um, in, in one way or another. And we love him. And I know that he was meant to be mine when I went to meet him for the first time when his foster mom um, opened the door and I saw him, I, I said to myself, that's my son. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like the spirit, you know, whispered that to me. Um, and so I knew from there that that this was a, a, a journey that I wanted to go on with him and my husband. Um, I, I generally tell people, if you want to adopt from foster care, try and do it first before you have an infant, because these foster children a lot of times have a lot of needs that are going to require a lot of time and attachment is different to an older child and when you don't have anything to compare it to um, you know like the attachment to an infant I believe it comes a lot faster and it's a lot easier Um, I I think that families that want to adopt older children need to be prepared for it you have to be extremely committed to it, um, and you have to be open to seeking support when it's needed. Um, I mean, my son's been in therapy for five years, and he'll probably continue to be in therapy, especially as he grows older and, and gets into, um, you know, that, that middle, middle school stage of life and high school where they're trying to find out who they are and really establish, you know, their, their self um, What's the word I'm looking for? Like their Their identity. Mm -hmm. Their identity. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Um, I also believe, though, that adopting an older child, that disrupting your birth order can work if it's in God's plan for you. Because when God calls you to adopt, then then it's always right. And if you include him, include God in the process, and you ask him for help, and you lean on him, he will help you through it. And so I, I don't want to discourage anybody from adopting an older child. I just believe you need to include God in that process and a, a lot of preparation and a lot of prayer. And, and it can be a beautiful thing. On that, we have to take a break, Laura. When okay. we come back, we're going to talk more about your story and just how it all worked together as you had these two little guys and then you bring in a, a child that's four and how you started parenting and how you and your husband worked together to, to make it work. We'll be right back. You're listening to Adoption Now. I'm April Fallon. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver, broadcasting in HD digital radio and online at 670KLTT.com. Hi, this is Noah, April's husband. Are you enjoying the program today, but wonder how you can hear more stories about the joys and challenges of adoption? Good news. Adoption Now is available on podcasts through iTunes and Google Play. Just search Adoption Now and subscribe. We download a new show weekly, allowing you access to every story we've shared. I hope you enjoy the rest of today's story as we get back to the host of the show, April Fallon. Welcome back to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today we're talking to Laura, and she's just telling her story about her and her husband, Heath. They adopted three children now and in the story, and it's just unbelievable 
everything you guys went through. And you just said that you had only been married for two years. And here you are. You have a 13-month-old little guy. You get a four-year-old from foster care. And you're waiting for a baby to be born. Yes. Yes. So my baby was born when my first little guy was 15 months. So we adopted three children within 15 months. Oh, my goodness. Um, and so it was a whirlwind. And, you know, it was funny when we adopted our first little guy, my husband said, well, we should upgrade to a minivan. And I thought he had lost his mm-hmm. mind. And, um, and he I was right. Do it. <laughs> he was right because we filled it up like within months. Wow. So, uh, I think that was, again, just the Lord's hand, like, just trust me, like things are coming. Yes. <laughs> you need to be ready. Yes. I like that you talked about birth order because I think it's really important for families to consider. It, it doesn't always work, and it is something that's real that can really devastate a family. When you take your youngest sibling and then you make them not the youngest sibling anymore, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that's natural. That's a natural progression. But when you take your oldest child and you make them not the oldest anymore, that is where things can get really difficult. And so the state and any training we've ever had really does not want to do it unless they feel that the family is well prepared. And so it sounds like you guys got thrown into this whole situation, but it was meant to be. But how did you handle that on a day-to-day basis? Uh, You know, for us, I think it was a pitch easier because Declan was only 13 months. So on a day-to-day basis, I I mean, I don't really know because we were still, foster care in and of itself is a ton of work, meetings and therapy appointments and Mm -hmm. visits. And so when my youngest son was born and came home from the hospital, I had a four-year-old, a 15-month-old, a three-week-old, and a newborn. So it was a huge whirlwind. And so when you ask you know, how did I integrate an older child um, into the mix? I honestly, that whole, <laughs> that like year of my life is a, is a blur. So I, I don't know exactly how we did it. We, 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 <laughs> a lot of prayer and a lot of help from other people, really. So how long did you have the three-week-old, the foster? So we only had the foster for like a month and a half okay. before my husband said, we we can't do this. We are spread too thin. So um, that was really hard. I attached really fast to that baby, mm-hmm. but I knew it it was for the best. Mm-hmm. And he ended up going home to his parents, and so that was a, a beautiful situation. Was also. Brogan healthy when he was born? He was healthy because mom had been incarcerated. He he tested positive um, in his umbilical cord testing for a couple of things that just uh, umbilical cord testing can look back on the entire life of the fetus and, and tell you what they were exposed to. Um, so he was born clean, but he had been ex- drug exposed in utero. Okay. But he, for the most part, he was sleeping and eating and everything was okay. Yes. Thankfully, because my Declan did not, um, I don't, uh, he, he had colic for the first year of his life. I did not attach to Declan really until he was a year old. And it really, really worried me um, because I, you know, I, this is all I've ever wanted was mm-hmm. to be a mom and, and have a baby. And then this baby comes and I'm not attaching and he's just screaming at me all the time. And, um, you know, I went to the doctor and they said, you 
have postpartum. And I looked at them like they're crazy. I'm like, no, I adopted this baby. And mm-hmm. they said, no, you can, you, many women who adopt children can experience postpartum. And I believe that going so long with the undiagnosed postpartum, not having the support I needed there was, that was impacting my attachment with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really, and then, you know, what ended up happening was a friend came over who knew that I was losing it with him having colic and she, she had a cooler full of her mother's milk and said, I just want you to feed in my milk for a week and see what happens. And I told her I thought she was crazy. It was kind of gross. Like, I love this part of your story. And when we did the pre-interview, I, I said the same things. Like, because people have offered that for me as well. And I'm like, ooh, it just well, feels. Time, well, and it splashed on me. And right. I was like, ah! Splashed on you. you know, or, they, or they spit up and then you're like, oh. But, you know, I gave him that first bottle and he instantly stopped crying. And that was what we needed. Wow. That was what he needed. So that year, woman pumped for an entire year. Wow. For my baby. That's amazing. So it really takes a village. It, it, it really, really does. And so another part of God's hand, I think. There are two parts of that part of your story I want to talk about really quickly. And that's the postpartum. Um, you did say that you had to go on some medication for that time period. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I went to the, because sometimes there's a lot of shame attached right. to the medication. Um, and I wasn't experiencing depression as much as I was extreme anxiety, mm-hmm. like extreme anxiety. And, I, you know, I, I would tell my husband, I'm not suicidal, but if a truck runs us off the road, I'm okay. <laughs> he was like... <laughs> Uh. <laughs> I'm laughing because I get it. I get it. And, you know, we struggled when we brought our daughter home who was detoxing as well. And I couldn't connect with her. And anything natural as a, like a mother would do, she rejected it. So I bonded so quickly to my son. And then, you know, I'm trying to mother this baby that is detoxing. She doesn't want to be touched. And she's screaming and she's not eating. And a lot of times these children that are born early or are detoxing or both what you're saying is that breast milk is easily digestible for them and it can change them. And, you know, if I would have known that with her, two things, if I would have known that I probably was struggling with a little postpartum and if I would have known that I could have gotten breast milk um, from a friend or, you know, there's lots of different ways you can get it that it's clean and, you know, it's clean, it's tested. If I would have known that, I think I would have shortened her misery and my misery by months. I mean, we struggled for eight months. And I I told you a little bit about how eventually the doctor said, just give her milk, give her cow's milk. I'm like, she's Uh eight months and 13 pounds. (laughs) He's like, I don't know what else to tell you. She's not eating this formula and she's going to be put on failure to thrive. And as a mom spending day in and day out of this baby, I felt like I was failing already. And I think there's other moms right now. They're going to be listening and saying, I am struggling and everyone around me is saying, well, isn't this great? You got your baby yeah, and I'm not yeah. connecting to the baby. There are some like options. Yes. Yes. And you feel like you can't be honest with people mm-hmm. because they're going to think you're awful. Like mm-hmm. you can't have a baby and someone gave you one and now you're not just over the moon grateful and you're having anxiety or depression. And, um, and so I think it's so important to talk about it because I was, I was suffering Alone. Help for me, mm-hmm. and, and really uh, uh, kind of alone. 
Um, and, you know, once I was medicated, I, I, my whole world changed. And the doctor said, this isn't a life sentence. Mm-hmm. You don't have to stay on this the rest of your life. And that's what changed it for me. And as far as the breast milk, and he stayed on it for a year, and so he gained weight and really changed everything. I mean, that to me, when you told me that, I was like, oh, I I so wish I had known that in my struggle. And so if there's a mom out there and you just don't know what to do and the formula is not working, how do they find um, the breast milk? How do you go about that? So so my friend Pump, I fed it to my little guy until he was about 18 months old because he was so premature. Mm-hmm. So she pumped as long as she could, but as her baby started to grow and needed more, um, she she wasn't producing quite enough for both of us. So I would just ask trusted friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, through my church, I a friend like put it on Facebook, um, and so someone that she knew that she needed to be clean had some, and yeah, it just was this wonderful um, group of women that saw the need and were willing to fill it. I mean, if you tell a, a, a mother that there was there's an adopted drug-exposed, drug-addicted baby that's allergic to formula, then they, they come in, in droves to help. And I'm, I'm grateful for that and for the sisterhood that I gained through that. Yeah. I, I just love that part of your story. I think it's going to help a lot of people. Okay, so Declan is on breast milk, and he's doing great. We're bringing four-year-old home, and he's struggling and that a bit, I mean, as any four-year-old that's been through what he was through. And then Brogan was born, and he's healthy. How are you guys, and then the baby, the foster baby, how are you functioning on a day-to-day basis? Right now I have four, and it's kind of a natural progression, and I'm still drowning. I can't imagine just waking up and having all these kids arrive. (laughs) Well, um, it it was rough. And I still needed to work. My husband is in law enforcement, and unfortunately, where we live, they're not paid um, what they should be. And so I still needed to work. But in some ways, I was grateful to, like, you know, get a day or two away because Mm -hmm. I think any mom with a bunch of tiny little children would feel that way. Um, So day to day, I just had a lot of help. We we hired a nanny that would come in and and help us. Um, I wanted to make sure my kids were getting all of their needs met. And um, Declan still, I think he had just barely learned to walk. Um, Brogan was born. And so they're still tiny and they still need to be carried. And and so I wasn't afraid to ask for help. And um, that's okay too. I think sometimes as moms, we put too much pressure on ourselves to be everything and do everything. And, um, and I think especially as an adoptive mom, I feel like it's my job to give these children both of their mother's love. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes, you know, this woman gave me, the, these women gave me these children because they thought I could do a better job than they could. And so then you hard on yourself when you have a hard mom day and, you know, maybe you snap at your kids or you don't give them as much attention as they deserve. Um, but I think it's just important to for us to you know, be easy on ourselves a little bit. And we're doing the best we can. And, you know, my kids are resilient and happy um, generally. And so, yeah, day to day, we just did what we could do. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And I I think a part of your story that's awesome, too, is you said you and your husband actually grew closer. Sometimes it can be 
very difficult. And we see families a lot that are on different pages and and struggling through that. And you just talked about how you and your husband came together and worked together. And this was your calling. And so um, it just became very natural for you to to parent the, the children that God had given you. Yes, yes. We we really feel strongly that these, these children are right where they're supposed to be. And I feel like their birth parents feel that way also. We had kind of talked a little bit about how I was scammed. And we were scammed by Brogan's birth mother. And that has been, been a really, really tough thing to navigate for our family. Mm-hmm. She called and said she was expecting again. This would have been her eighth baby. And she said, I want to keep the kids together. Would you mind adopting this baby girl? Well, of course, we would adopt a sibling. And the fact that it was a girl, we were we were so excited. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I went and, and met with her um, in Nevada. Oh, was she out of jail by that time? Because wasn't she incarcerated? Yep, yep. Okay. Yep, she was out of prison. She was in Nevada because she was wanted. <laughs> here in Utah. And so, um, so I went to Nevada to meet her. I brought Brogan with me. He saw her, um, you know, for the first time since he was born and it was a darling reunion. We have a billion pictures and he was rubbing her belly and talking to the baby. And she was telling him, you're going to be a big brother. This is your baby sister. I can't wait till she goes home with you. Um, was she pregnant? Was she visibly? Okay. Definitely pregnant. And we went um, to the store, and they picked out an outfit for the baby together. And it, it just seemed like, it, you know, it was going to be perfect. And um, to make a really long story short, we, I, was, I was called by somebody on the phone that told me that she was extorting um, between four to eight families <gasps> out of money for this baby. So we were... We started to pay her rent and, and for her food and medical. Um, well, she had up to eight families also doing the same. And it was a pretty elaborate scam because she was talking to all of these families every day and updating them oh and sending goodness. them ultrasound photos and making plans with them. Um, you know, and she wasn't carrying eight babies. So <laughs> um, I was the one that confronted her on it. And it made her angry. Um, and so she really needed someone to blame when, when everything started to fall apart. And so she she put that, she, she blamed us for her scam being exposed. She had the baby and I, and I don't know, I don't know where the, the baby ended up. Um, definitely not with us. And I think a lot of that is because she, she's mad. Um, I understand that scams happen. And I and adoption fails, and it it's painful. It's mm-hmm. painful no matter what. I can handle it, but the second that you get my kids involved, mm-hmm. that's a whole that takes it to a whole nother level. Let alone a child that you bore. You and I together are his mother, mm-hmm. and you to hurt him. That just took it to a whole nother level for me when you told this story and even now I'm totally teary because it's our story as well. And we were also being scammed in the process and only because of social services, 
getting involved and our lawyer um, were we able to stay in it and also she was only scamming another family at the same time only one other family not four to eight but still <laughs> and they got placement they found out about it early enough and so they had placement so once she was mad at us she went back to that family but they had already gotten their child so she didn't have any power to also continue to manipulate them and, right. and so it was, it worked out in the end, but I understand that pain. Do not mess with my children. You have just, you have just told us that you're, you know, going to add to our family. We've gotten them all excited. We've gotten excited. We're involved and invested into you because we've been through this before. We have history together. You can't be doing this to our family. And what do you think her, she was really thinking? Do you think she just wanted money? I believe, I mean, she's an addict. Mm. I believe that she wanted, she's never really worked. She spent most of her life in and out of jail and prison. And I believe in her mind, I do believe she wanted us to have the baby, but she she wanted us to, to give her things that it wasn't ethical or legal for mm-hmm. us to give her. And so we wouldn't. Um, you know, we, we went with the, the state laws here in Utah with what was appropriate. And so I believe that she wanted to get money from these other families so that she could live the high life. And then at the end was going to say to them, oh, sorry, I changed my mind and placed the baby with us. But I didn't feel good about that either. Mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't want anybody to be hurt in this process. And which is why I confronted her on it. And I told her um, that that this wasn't appropriate. And, you know, that made her angry. How did your family um, grieve after that? You know, it took a long time for Brogan to stop asking about baby sister. So what we did instead was he has two of his older siblings were adopted by a really great family that live here in Utah, and we have established a relationship with them. And so to help him get through it, we just tried to see his sisters more often, his older sisters. And I believe that that has helped him. You know, lots of families go through grief and loss. I kind of equate it similarly to a miscarriage. Lots of families get their kids excited for a baby, and then, you know, something happens and the the pregnancy is lost. And so we kind of handled it similarly to to that. Mm -hmm. A super expensive miscarriage. (laughs) You know, that's what that was what we were grieving over $15,000 for us in a very short amount of time if she did not place was gone. And we were devastated on so many different accounts. You write a blog, first of all, and you also help families match to children. And you don't, it's not expensive, you believe that you can find and be matched to your baby and not have an agency involved necessarily and pay all those fees. How much did you pay total? We have four. Well, for each adoption, we didn't pay more than 4000 So tell us about your blog and how someone can get a hold of you. So if they want to get a hold of me, I have a personal blog that tells my adoption story, which is elephantgame.blogspot.com. And then I also have an adoption blog, which is l&ladoption.blogspot.com. And I will be putting that on my Facebook page as well. Thanks again, yeah. Laura. Okay, thank you. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook. And remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thanks for tuning in to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week.
Thanks for joining us for today's Adoption Now. If you would like to tell your story or for more information about Adoption Now, visit the website at adoption-now.com or find it on Facebook. And join us next week at the same time as we share another adoption story on 670 AM KLTT.